This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. Economic development is sure to be a big topic during the upcoming legislative session. And finding sites for new businesses involves more than just flat pieces of land. The pressure to power your business on non-fossil, non-carbon energy sources is growing. And that's not just growing in West Virginia. It's growing certainly nationally, if not globally. That story and more coming up this West Virginia morning. State Treasurer Riley Moore announced Monday he's running for U.S. Congress in 2024. Randy Yowie has the story. Speaking from his home in Harpers Ferry, the former state delegate said he will run as a Republican for the 2nd Congressional District seat, now held by Representative Alex Mooney, who announced last week he's running for U.S. Senate in 2024. Moore said he will continue his conservative fight in support of fossil fuels and national energy independence. As state shepherd of the Hope Scholarship Program, he said he will push to create national educational savings accounts across America. There's certainly, in my view, a war going on on the family in this country, and we have to be able to give them choice over indoctrination. Moore continues a West Virginia Republican family political legacy as the nephew of Senator Shelley Moore Capito and the grandson of three-time Governor Arch Moore. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Randy Yowie. Virginia customers of Appalachian Power will share the cost of upgrading two West Virginia power plants. As Curtis Tate reports, the decision by Virginia regulators is a reversal. Appalachian Power's Virginia customers will, after all, share in the cost of wastewater treatment projects at the John Amos and Mountaineer power plants. The projects will keep both plants operating past 2028. Appalachian Power had sought approval of the plan last year from the Virginia State Corporation Commission, but was rejected. The company refiled the request with the commission earlier this year. Last month, the commission's senior hearing examiner recommended approval of the request, with the condition that Virginia ratepayers not share the cost of any uneconomic operation of the two plants. The West Virginia Public Service Commission ordered Appalachian Power to operate the plants more, but tight coal supplies have limited how much they can run. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Curtis Tate in Charleston. Appalachian Power is an underwriter of West Virginia Public Broadcasting. As we head into winter, parents should check the status of their child's health insurance. Amelia Nicely reports. As medical experts warn parents of a possible tridemic of RSV, flu, and COVID-19, a pediatrician says it's a good time to check your child's health insurance in order to avoid medical debt. Around 60% of kids are covered by Medicaid or the West Virginia Children's Health Insurance Program, better known as CHIP. Kids in these programs have been automatically re-enrolled during the current COVID-19 federal public health emergency. Dr. Jennifer Gerlach, vice president of the state's chapter of the American Academy of Pediatrics said it's still important to verify coverage. We don't want it to be a situation where it's harder for parents to seek health care for their children because of their insurance status. You can check Medicaid or CHIP status by contacting the West Virginia Department of Health and Human Resources. For Appalachia Health News, I'm Amelia Nicely in Charleston. The wait is almost over for the region's winter sports lovers. As Chris Schultz reports, at least two ski resorts are opening their slopes this week. Snowshoe Mountain in Pocahontas County will officially begin the 2022-2023 winter season on Wednesday, November 23rd. Timberline Mountain in Tucker County will also hold a preview weekend, starting with a sneak peek day on Wednesday. 
Snowshoe expects to open at least a dozen beginner and intermediate trails to skiers and snowboarders. Other alpine areas in the state, Winter Place Ski Area and Canaan Valley Resort, are scheduled for early and mid-December openings, weather permitting. Ogilvy Resort will begin operations as soon as weather permits. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Chris Schultz in Morgantown. Jade Ruggieri was adopted from China by American parents when she was a year old. Now she's a grad student at West Virginia University. Following a rise in anti-Asian hate crimes, she made a student film about the Asian Appalachian experience. The film was featured on The Daily Yonder, a news website devoted to life in rural America. Inside Appalachia's Mason Adams spoke with Ruggieri about the film. Tell us a little bit about what led you to make this film. I was adopted when I was one, and my parents have always created a wonderful uh, like upbringing for me when I was growing up. Um, however, I realized that there were just some like different incidences because of my race being different, since both my parents are white, that I had never really noticed or experienced until you know I got older, more in high school, where I kind of looked back and had realized that some of these things weren't as okay or acceptable to say, like. I remember in middle school, I had told my dad that kids on the bus were calling me like wonton and egg roll and sushi roll. And with my sense of humor, I was going to say, if you're going to insult me, at least get my ethnicity correct, um, since I'm Chinese. So I've always kind of teetered on, I guess, that identity line of being in inside full Americana, full just that's all I've ever known. And then equally on the outside, that's not what people perceive me as, which is something that kind of creates almost like a dissonance in your mind that makes it confusing when you're growing up. I had been in my undergraduate senior capstone project. Originally, I was actually going to be focusing on the um, Asian hate impacts on um, the Asian community restaurant owners. So when I'd gone up to Pittsburgh the first time, I met with this woman that I had called over the phone earlier, and she said she'd be willing to meet, and she still, to this day, ended up being the only one who was willing to meet. I walked down a whole row of restaurants, Asian restaurants, and I went to at least 15, and almost all of them all of them said no. Yes, so you do have the, the woman who works at the restaurant, and then you you have these three fellow college students who feel like, to me, in some ways, the heart of the film. How did you find those voices? We went back to the drawing board, and at that point, I was like, well, I still have that one interview, Alice, that was from the restaurant. What can I do with this direction? And so we decided um, maybe an easier pivot would just be focusing on WVU students. So... I'm like, how do I find Asians at WVU? I've never purposely tried to do this. And so then it kind of ended up coming together within the span of a week before the project was due. So I was scrambling to get interviews and I was like, any time and day they told me, I was like, yes, I will make it happen because I was trying to make sure that I was getting this project done, but also still treating it with that amount of respect and um, just you know thoughtfulness to create this story that would come together and tell something and then after I'd interviewed Ben first and after talking with him I'd realized that he'd grown up in Morgantown his whole life and after talking with the second student she also said she was from like West Virginia and so finally I kind of started catching on and it was a coincidental story that came out of 
nothing in some ways because I've realized they were all from Appalachia. And so I kind of on the third interview then started framing it that way and kind of helped use that third student to help set up the rest of it and had realized that not only was this talking about COVID and the pandemic and Asian hate, but it went even further into what is it like having these multiple identities of being Asian, Appalachian, and American and not feeling like you belong to all three because that's what I heard from their statements. And then I just tried to retell it in a way that kind of wove them all together. You can hear more of that story Sunday morning at 7 and Sunday evening at 6 on Inside Appalachia. This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. It's 7.52. Mostly sunny skies today with highs in the 40s and 50s. Clear overnight with lows in the 20s. Sunny tomorrow with highs in the 40s and 50s. Clear tomorrow night, lows in the 20s. And sunshine on Thanksgiving Day with highs in the 50s and low 60s. Support for WVPB is provided by Marshall Health, providing comprehensive primary and specialty care throughout southern West Virginia and the tri-state region. More at marshallhealth.org. Economic development and education are two issues that loom large as legislators prepare for the 2023 general session. Randy Yowie reports that leaders in the House of Delegates from both parties have different views on the varied priority issues that need to be addressed. Speaker of the House Roger Hanshaw, a Republican from Clay County, says after landing Nucor's Mason County steel plant, and Berkshire Hathaway's Ravenswood Renewable Energy Industrial Park, West Virginia must prioritize site development beyond simply having a big flat piece of land. Build ready doesn't just mean flat. It also means having adequate utilities, having adequate ingress and egress. So the, the pressure to power your business on non-fossil, non-carbon energy sources is growing. And that's not just growing in West Virginia. It's growing certainly nationally, if not globally. House Minority Leader Doug Scaff, a Democrat from Kanawha County, says his caucus is focused in 2023 on West Virginia's existing businesses, especially small businesses. Scaff says the majority of the state's employed people right now work in small businesses with 50 employees or less. We want to look at the small businesses that are here that have survived the pandemic and what can we do to help them. Is there is there payroll taxes we can forgive? Is there is there incentives for them to grow? Is there ways, you know, and maybe maybe we can't afford to do a business inventory tax across the board for everybody, but we can if you've been a business here for X amount of years and you're looking to expand and you're going to hire new people. Maybe we start, don't just take a uh, blanket approach. Let's look at individual sectors of the market that we can help really grow. For public education, Hanshaw says the state needs to continue a course of action that provides adequate funding. That includes the refreshed educational structure demonstrated by Senate President Craig Blair's education leadership changes, a legislative focus on non-traditional education opportunities, and acceptance of the HOPE Scholarship Program. 
As demonstrated in the recently completed interim legislative session, Hanshaw will again push for his bill that funds first and second grade teacher aides. He says the program helps develop skill sets early on for the jobs and economy of the future. Training a workforce is an absolute imperative. We have to do it. It's not an option. And making sure that the, that kids are able to read and do math at grade level is critical. Scaff says the state cannot realize educational progress without a plan to recruit and retain teachers who are leaving in crisis numbers for better paying jobs elsewhere. He includes teachers and nurses in a revamped tax incentive proposal. Why not, instead of just doing across-the-board income tax reduction for everybody, no income tax if you're a nurse or if you're a teacher? Let's look at ways that we can forgive their loans if you become a nurse and you stay in West Virginia and practice for five years or X amount of years back. Uh, if you're a teacher and you can go across the state line and make $10,000 more, well, what can we do to help offset that maybe on the back end, to incentivize them for staying in West Virginia and becoming a teacher here. Hanshaw says Republicans are looking at ways to re-regulate and rejuvenate the state's forestry industry and manufacture more wood products in West Virginia. And he says there continues to be a dire need locally and globally to continue offering incentives for rare earth mineral extraction and production here in West Virginia. Today we rely upon the Chinese for almost all of our sources of those materials. And that's a, that's a terrible situation for a variety of reasons, not the least of which is just straight-up national security. Scaff says Democrats also want to focus on ensuring cost-of-living adjustments for state employees, retirees, and workforce individuals in need. Yeah, we need to just do a sliding scale, maybe every five years, an automatic trigger that gives the cost-of-living adjustment to retirees, and public employee uh, teachers and whatnot who are on a fixed income that have put their heart and soul into giving back to West Virginia, but yet they continue to earn the same. And the price of everything, as you know, keeps going up. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Randy Yoey in Charleston. West Virginia Morning is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting, which is solely responsible for its content. You can keep up with the latest West Virginia news throughout the day on our website, wvpublic.org. Support for our news bureaus comes from West Virginia University, Concord University, and Shepherd University. West Virginia Morning is produced with help from Amelia Nicely, Bill Lynch, Caroline McGregor, Curtis Tate, Chris Schultz, Eric Douglas, Jessica Lilly, Liz McCormick, Randy Yoey, and Shepard Snyder. Eric Douglas is our news director, and he produced today's show. I'm your host, Teresa Wills. This is West Virginia Morning. <music>